And welcome to the Rainbow Flipper Musical Explosion. I am your host, CZG123, and I'm in the place to be. And I want to thank you so much for listening today and uh, or tonight, and I hope you are subscribing. Don't forget that you can catch this program on most major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, all that good jazz. But you can also, and I would love if you did, check out CZG123. Dot blogspot.com. That's czg123.blogspot.com. There you will find an embedded radio player which features every episode of this radio show and articles I've written with regards to different aspects of music. Well, hello, 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 and don't forget to share this radio show with all of your friends and family, including, yes, your enemies. Because who knows, one day you may play this show for an enemy. And they may turn around and say, wow, you know, this show's rather good. I want to thank you so much for turning it on, tuning it on, uh, tuning in rather, and uh, turning me on to it. Uh, there's some stuff on here I never would have heard before if it weren't for you. So we're no longer enemies. So magic like that can happen. Uh, and if so, you can blame the Rainbow Flipper musical explosion. Now, uh, today we will be focusing on one of my favorite segments on this show why music this as you know is when i uh interview people uh friends family folks friends people i know uh with regards to their love of music or not love of music depending on uh their own taste do they listen to music if so what got them into music who influenced uh my guests in listening to music and uh what does music mean to them today and what are they listening to so why music coming up today i have a very special guest his name is rob cassis and he is not only a very very talented musician uh, and producer himself but he is definitely uh, a music lover so i'm very excited to uh, have you listen to our why music segment and before we jump into that a quick message from a sponsor and then a Rainbow Flipper musical explosion. So please don't go anywhere, and if you do, press pause so you can unpause it later. Come on along, I'll take you to the lullaby of Broadway. Hippery and Ballyhoo, the lullaby of Broadway. And in the center of it all is the Milford Plaza. Stay at the Milford Plaza Hotel with cocktail dinner and breakfast for $43 per person. Discover why we are the lullaby of Broadway. The Milford Plaza is the lullaby of all Broadway. Debbie Gibson is regular. We're my two-headed love child. Secretly married out of Las Vegas, and a little bit of travel. Joe Collins made us rootin' tootin', ain't high for loot. Rick Ashley is a painted waist, match my butt, his face. His teeny tiny two inches of terror, and they all go to stereo. 
naked in the fall I can't shove From the West Indies, you can tell them I'm lyrical prophet from the worst spoken and broken up Indies. Books are scrolls that I unfold and nods like users make me roll it in for the gents and nice. Some converts and some becomes us. Don't want and I'm not your big old enough to find a calypso. Gavin, I'm working, I'm working, I can't be rude. Your thing is not your fact, this liberal man get on it. Bop for the red, they're white, and also the black island. Which is my land, my place of birth. On the control by the tongue that's swung in lyrical structure, enemy verse. So all MCs don't cross this border. Cause by now, I don't know, I'm sorta. Liberally wise, but now I despise all you, that's out to order. Don't try to test an enemy of this snicking, cause I'm not done with it. box to beat and I'm the licking. Sing out! You can't face me, and my rhymes you bite and learn And you'll acknowledge my lyrical substance just like one But worm chip food then will extend I'm sure all the youth them That made big bouts on the roots Cause on their bubble and their pen Cause when I get a mic, all MCs, they do stop guessing Hush, and I'm like a touch and I'm like a brush And I'm like a clutch with lyrical styles of such And if I do unleash a lyrical masterpiece Living over seas in a piece, unleash make a brief We don't buy yes, a T-C-H-I-P Foo is my name, it will stay just the same Give me the mic and the stage and the rage and the gauge and drop right just the same Quote, fuck, no, fuck, did you comprehend? So jack it up and pull it up, I'm away to wheel Come on, cause MCs try these Rastafarianic raps and sound like wannabes. What I wanna be is not what I wanna be. See the Fusnickens have to be the true prophets. Free, free to be Fusnick prophecies. We the untouchable, matchable, top of what MCs for unity. Men to be a Rastafarian, let know not me, but I do son. I'm not faking, not a Jamaican. All MCs in the better run because middle of the tip, fool. Man, I come. I miss it, I wanna read them, so the money rhymes and they hot tickle land. Do me full of a style, I'm looking at my land. Beer pot, I'm watch on me. Chat it in a robot, cap cap size it in a nun. And I better give I night respect when this Trinidad and I come. Sing out! Come follow me, pop who's the rough neck chicken and I'm the wild apache See I'm the city, the H, the I, the P, now with the P, the O, the C, the K, the U, the M, the G, the M, the O, yes, and the C And when the M, the I, the C is in my H, the A, and D But it would have and educating, fool, your sense for unity But wait, let me get set on the sweat, but to get something straight All MCs come out with good styles and all of them do sound great But ring the alarm and no stay calm because I won't procrastinate These biblical styles that I compile to preach and teach and educate me I knew Jack, brother, who's that? When you was at the parties, rubbing and scratching, I did a chat on Twitter, but it Upon. Cast it to it in live and direct Yes, I'm on and I hear me yet when you hear my voice that's perfect So just back up, because your lyrics so weak when you speak, don't step So just back up, wake up, pick up the makeup Don't try to take the mic, because I'll break up MC, live from limbs to the middle gym Men, I'm in the mean, I'm falling, I'm saying I'm in the fall But I'm so take heed to the lesson I bring All the lesson I brought was, was taught to one another I'll slack MC, but I ring the alarm In other words, run for cover Yeah, I like to say peace to the whole of the food Snick and massive, you know what I'm saying? My boy Mokfu, my boy Pokfu, and Kung Fu. And I'm chip for the mother that never gonna this one, you know what I'm saying? And my producer Livio G, who's sneaking massive is signing off. Peace.
tune in and drop out. Okay. In mind, indisposed, in disguises no one knows How to face lies the snake And this only man disgrace Boiling heat, summer stench Neath the blackest sky looks dead Black hole, someone to come Wash away the rain Black hole, someone to come Won't you come? Won't you come? Stuttering, cold and damp Still the warm wind tired friend Far too long for snakes In my shoes Walking sleep In my youth I pray to keep Heaven send hell away No one sings like you anymore Black hole sun won't you come Wash away the rain Black hole, some won't you come? Won't you come? Black hole, some won't you come? Wash away the rain. Black hole, some won't you come? Won't you come? Black hole, sun, black hole. 
fantastic Chris Cornell off of his album Songbook, which is a live album of Chris Cornell playing around different places all acoustic it's just him and his acoustic guitar and um, that song as you may or may not know is Black Hole Sun and that is from a performance in uh, I'll tell you I'll tell you where it's from. It's recorded live at Queen Elizabeth Theatre in Toronto, Ontario. Shout out to Canada. And it was recorded April 20th, 2011. Six years later, unfortunately, Chris Cornell would take his own life and pass away at the tender age of 52. And uh, one can only imagine, you know. 2017 seems like so long ago. Anyways, this album came in on the Billboard 200 at number 69 and um, sold a mere 86,000 copies in the United States uh, by the time it reached 2015. So within four years, uh, roughly you know, 86, 87,000 copies uh, were sold. Anyways, this album is absolutely incredible uh, as far as I'm concerned and as far as live albums go. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, songs from Temple of the Dog, his work with Audio Slave. He covers Thank You by Zeppelin. He covers Imagine by John Lennon um, in the only way that Chris Cornell can. I mean, he, his, his range and his vocals are just extraordinary. And then prior to that, we heard Debbie Gibson is Pregnant with My Two-Headed Love Child by Mojo Nixon. Mojo Nixon and Skid Roper uh, off of the album Root Hog or Die, which came out in 1989. Um, rest in peace and uh, big love to Mojo Nixon, who passed away this year at age 66. Uh, he made a big splash with his huge hit, Elvis is Everywhere. I believe that's the name of the song. I hope I'm getting that right. Uh, I know, obviously, it's in the, um, in the song itself. I think it is called Elvis is Everywhere. Anyways, this song actually was a bigger splash when it came out uh, for Mojo Nixon, when this song came out in 1989, um, and it made him jump onto the Billboard charts, um, and the song came in at number 16 on the Modern Rock listings. Um, so that's pretty cool, you know, uh, that's his uh, first time on the charts there. And in the video, he's making fun of Debbie Gibson, obviously, and he manages to sneak in uh, a Rick Astley diss, which is, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, shout out to Brother Dan for bringing this beautiful song to my attention. Uh, it's great. Um, you're not going to believe this, but Winona Ryder is in the video as Debbie Gibson. A little bit of trivia. I don't know if you knew that, Brother Dan, but yeah, that's Winona Ryder playing uh, Debbie Gibson. And the, the video would come on uh, on MTV's 120 Minutes, uh, which was like an alternative music show. 
back when MTV showed music-related programming. Uh, and then setting off that Rainbow Flipper musical, musical explosion, we heard from uh, the Fushnikins. Don't sleep, the Fushnikins. Uh, shout out to Brother Ruddy for reminding me of just how fantastic this group uh, really was and is. Uh, that was their first single, Ring the Alarm, and it came out in 1991. Uh, it would later be featured on their first album, which came out in 92, uh, F-U, Don't Take It Personal, because they spell their name. Uh, <laughs> the, band, uh, the band's name is Fushnikins, or the group's name, rather, uh, F-U hyphen Schnickens. And incidentally, it's S-C-H-N-I-C-K-E-N-S. I had a real hard time finding out the proper spelling of uh, this, <laughs> this group's name. They were on the Jive label. Uh, they, I, I believe they're from Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, Brooklyn. Um, and they, they were kind of short-lived as, as far as uh, hip-hop acts go. You know, they really only lasted from like late 80s to, they, I think they called it quits in like 1996 or 1995. Um, Fushnikins, uh, Lash Move. Uh, as you may uh, or may not remember, was the Fushnikins uh, another, another big hit from the Fushnikins. <laughs> I just love saying Fushnikins. Ring the alarm. And it's interesting because the song, uh, it's, uh, you know, it takes a sample from Ring the Alarm, that old song, and I'm blanking on who sings it now, but that's one of my favorite jams. So, great sample. I don't, you know. I just uh, don't want you to... Uh, I got to give credit where credit's due. That sample, you know. Some songs, if they're not made, then you don't have the hip-hop song, right? That samples it. Or if you do, um, or rather if, if you don't, then they could perhaps use another piece of your music. Anyway, point being is like, that song is so great that you see a group like Fushnikins be like, oh my God. And then that loop and that hook basically becomes the blueprints of the song. So I think that's really cool in the same way that like Tropical Quest does that, they love soul, like all these groups from back in the day, they would take like that one sample, it's all you needed and you can drive the whole song. I Left My Wallet in El Segundo is literally a loop of a riff from um, let's, let's Make It Funky, right? Chambers Brothers? Uh, wait, is that is that the, what it's from? Uh, let's make it funky, yeah. Like I keep, I, I can't tell if I make it funky is Simande or if it's, uh, help me out here, guys. Visit czg123.blogspot.com and you can leave comments and things like this. Uh, you can also call, uh, although I don't remember the number, but the number's on czg123.blogspot.com. Yeah, because Simande has, no, that's, it's the Chambers Brothers. I know it's a sample of the Chambers Brothers. I'm just trying to remember which song. But I think it's Let's Make It Funky. But I'm getting a few confused because I can't remember if Let's Make It Funky is the name of a Simande song, but I don't think it is. I don't think Simande would ever call a song Let's Make It Funky. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I digress. Now, let's dive into one of my favorite segments of all time, Why Music. Hello, everybody. And now on Why Music, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rob Cassis. Uh, Brother Rob is extremely talented. Um, I thought that was you, you know, one of these bands I was listening to. 
Now, this <laughs> this this fella uh, also has a great podcast called The Thousand and One Album Complaints. Uh, I it's a very original podcast and one that I <laughs> when I listened to it I wasn't expecting, but it's really engaging. And uh, Brother Rob is just really he's been writing music for over fifteen years. He has an artistic musical conglomerate where he's producing records. He's also writing a lot of songs. And um, in addition to all that, uh, he also has an extensive background in being a tech executive. So uh, Rob Cassis is more than a songwriter. He's also, he's smarty pants. He knows what he's talking about. So thank you again, Rob, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So first off, I wanted to ask... Um, a, a bit about what, and by the way, folks, when uh, you can, uh, please do check out um, the Chop Unlimited. Um, you can go to Link uh, Tree, which is L I N K T R dot E E slash the Chop Unlimited, and here you'll find uh. Yeah, you say it says on the site, we make parentheses strange music, which automatically had me interested. Um, <laughs> and uh, so basically, what uh, explain to us what you're doing here? What do you what's your goal with uh, Chop Unlimited? What's your vision? Yeah, it's our production company, right? It's an old group of friends. We've been playing music together in a variety of different bands over the years, making records. Now we're doing a podcast together every week, as you mentioned, 1001 Album Complaints, where we musicians review a classic album every week, kind of pick it apart, tell the backstory, and then ultimately vote on whether or not you really needed to hear it before you died. <laughs> and the production company is just a way to have one umbrella that helps promote all those things together, helps promote the creativity. So there's a lot of options there, right? We want to be able sure. to continue to make concept records. We want to continue with our sort of normal gigging bands. And now we're kind of spread to the winds as a group of friends, different locations, but we all still play music and love getting together and talking about music. So yeah, it's yeah. just a creative enterprise for a bunch of old friends who all grew up together and want to keep things going. So obviously on the podcast and also in general, with you're still keeping in touch with, with your pals. Um, exactly. Have you tried, do you guys ever, because uh, I believe you said that you're West Coast and they're mostly East Coast, would you say? Are they on the East Coast? We all grew up together on the East Coast in Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware. It's okay. kind of a, almost a suburb of Philadelphia to for listeners who might not know. Mm. And we went to high school and college there. And then we kind of all split up. And for a while... A bunch of us, I moved out to San Francisco right after college, and several of my friends followed, and we spent a bunch of time out here. You know, people kind of, as life does, takes you to different locations. Yeah. And now, now we're kind of split between the coasts. We have, in terms of the co-hosts on the podcast, every yeah. week we have one, one host who's in Portland, two of us in California, a couple more in Wilmington, Delaware, one in Philadelphia, so... And then, do you, so are you guys able to make music? Like, can one person make a track, pass it off, another person layers? Are you able to do digital yeah. music? Yeah. Yes, we've done some of that. And we've also used music as an excuse to get together for a long weekend. And yeah. we think of it as our 
we all have careers and jobs and families, but we think of it as our hobby. And sort of instead of a ski weekend, we get together at a studio and we've kind of That's already great. corresponded about the songs and written them and made some of the arrangement choices. And then we get together and and actually play together. And so we've done that several times and that's produced a lot of a lot of the material you see on the shop unlimited.com. When uh how how long have you been playing with your friends um a long while? Yeah, how long have you known these uh, guys? we're talking we're talking 25 years plus. I, oh, I wow. met up with these guys in high school. I think most of the group assembled then. Some of those guys have been hanging out even longer than that. And and well, frankly, when I met up with a couple of them, they were already in a band together and I was sort of just getting started. Mm -hmm. I'm talking 15, 16 when I first picked up the guitar. Yeah. So we've all just learned from each other and hung out relatively consistently since then. And music has always been a through line there. And do you yourself sing? I do. Yeah. And uh, do you play any instruments as well? Yeah, I play guitar primarily. I play some oh, yeah, piano guitar. as well. Right. Uh, Self-taught? Did you take lessons? Self-taught. It's interesting you ask because I felt like at 15, 16, there was almost no need for lessons. I was learning <laughs> yeah. so much from everyone around me. And you have a lot of free time. And it was the early days of the internet and be, being able to access tablature and chords. It was yeah. pre YouTube, but you could still get a lot. And so I never took lessons until... About a year ago, I decided, hey, I'd really like to get better, yeah. develop better technique. And it's it's actually been really eye-opening and amazing. But but no, I never did that when I was young. And do you guys or have you guys played out live? Definitely, yeah. When the band The Chop and where the name The Chop Unlimited originally comes from was kind of our first love band in our 20s. We played, we were based in San Francisco and we toured all around the west coast played tons of shows over the course of about three or four years and it was all these best friends in a band just having a great time trying great. to trying to make it in some sense and yeah. i think people who have been in bands will, will understand this but it you know as you get older as you get more responsibilities and as that first band breaks up it can be a challenging emotional experience yeah it's kind of like your first love right so yeah Nothing was ever really the same since then, but I and I think I've filed and I think we all have put music in a slightly different category in our lives mm -hmm. since then, which is appropriate, right? Yeah, but, for sure. But yeah, I still personally, I still play live shows uh, periodically with bands like the Beverly Crushers, or we recently, with under the name The Chop, we released a concept album about the fast food franchise Arby's called Ghost Beef. We played a couple of <laughs> Ghost Beef shows recently. Uh, so and my friends are gigging as well in, in their respective cities so yeah That's so we great. all still play live occasionally and did you guys play around did you uh leave delaware and go play in other cities or you know elsewhere yeah absolutely well actually almost all of my playing uh, believe it or not even though i'm from delaware i have never played a live show on the east coast i was just gonna so, ask that's interesting <laughs> yeah so i have some friends based there some of our co-hosts from 1001 album complaints are based there and they're in a band called mega that gigs around quite a lot in mm -hmm. the philadelphia area but most of my gigging was in california kind of all along the west coast so we would drive out to seattle and portland out to salt lake city down to la did a lot of gigging there yeah i actually speaking of 
this is going to sound a, a little bit like a brag, but I was really excited about it. So I'll just be honest. Yeah. Boy out with you. Please. But I recently, I recently played a gig in Bangkok and that was a very exciting moment. Wow. For me. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, what was that? What was their reaction like? Were they feeling it? Yeah, it was awesome. So it's what awesome. happened was I, I spent a little time living over there. My wife was going to culinary school and I was able to work remotely and I spent most of 2022 there and I ended up meeting a, a great number of musicians while I was there. And wow, it, there's a great music scene there. It turns out right. It, particularly a jazz scene, but just kind of all kinds of great talent. Never so knew. We ended up putting, wow. together, putting together a couple shows and yeah, it was, it was really fun. And, and, uh, did you play with, uh, with, uh, musicians from Bangkok while you were there? Yeah, exactly. It was all people I met over there. So we didn't, we Got weren't it. playing my songs, admittedly. We were doing like a Black Sabbath cover thing, but it was just nice. a lot of fun to be able to say <laughs> I played internationally. Um, and from what I understand, Chop Unlimited, you guys also release vinyl. Yeah. Is this true? You press vinyl? Yes, I've always been a loved vinyl. I think even before it was cool, dare I say, Same. when I was a teenager, yeah. I was going to the thrift stores and buying $1 vinyl records. And, you know, this is off the back of looking through my parents' vinyl records, of course. But at yeah. the time, it wasn't really a happening medium. Yeah. And so I've always loved it. I always aspired to have my own music on vinyl. And once we had the funding <laughs> behind us yeah, and, and a little bit of an idea of how we could promote and sell those vinyl records, we started doing it. So every time we make a record, we always print it Amazing. to vinyl. To me, that's, yeah, that, that's the main way I want to hear my music. And how have you uh, and your friends, but mostly you, how have you dealt with over time uh, with your recording and singing, uh, mm -hmm. doing the shows, uh, what's the adjustment like for you these days in terms of digital? Are you still going to recording studios or are you doing everything home-based? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I'll just say personally that although I love the warmth of say a vinyl record, it's the analog yeah. nature, hearing that record, the needle scratch and kind of the ritual of the whole aspect of being analog. Mm -hmm. I've never really been a person who worships at the altar of pure analog. I'm not anti-digital in any way, shape, or form. So the answer to your mm -hmm. question is a mix. Okay. I have found yeah. that going to a professional recording studio, working with a professional engineer, usually the person who runs the studio, mm -hmm. and having them be a facilitator of everything you want to do, and obviously using all this really cool equipment, which might include we've recorded plenty of the stuff directly to magnetic tape as opposed to directly to digital, mm. even though we know it's eventually going to make it to digital. Right. Right. But I think that's a really great process. I really love being distraction free. For instance, one of the places we've been a bunch of times is, is in a place called grass Valley, California. It's run by a guy called Tim green, who was mm. in a, a bunch of great bands and it's called louder studios but anyway he kind of has some acreage out there and you can go and stay there for a long weekend wow and you know the studio is a few steps away from where you're sleeping and he he lives there as well and so just like something about that environment is really great now that said mm -hmm. I, I just think it's conducive to creativity but that said we do i do plenty of home recording as well usually that would be overdubs background vocals little yeah. bells and whistles of guitars I'll sit here in this office right here and, and yeah. do stuff like that. And uh, 
primarily for your own solo work will you do that where you'll lay down different tracks but it's all you it's it's usually a mix so a one mix, of my okay. constant yeah one of my own constant collaborators and he's also co-host on 1001 album complaints is a guy called tom we're mm -hmm. very old friends and we also actually work together ironically enough it's great very incestuous relationships we've been friends for a long time and we have the same workplace and yeah. he's a bass player i'm a guitar player we both sing we both write so quite often we're collaborating i wouldn't i don't believe i've ever produced a track that is 100 percent me mm -hmm. i'm not against that i certainly could do that at this point sure. but i think it's somewhat antithetical to why i'm making music there's something yeah. fun about collaboration and the friendship of it so yeah we tend to do a lot of the singing and arrangement of stuff from the beverly crushers or from the modern chop stuff and uh do you receive demos do people send you you any demos to an effort to try and get signed by you guys you know i wish we got more i'll tell you that i think that okay. would be a really cool feature i'd love to we're sort of still at the early stage of this i know i said i've been playing music for a long time yeah but i am really focused right now on building out the brand and enabling other people who have strange ideas and yeah and you you hit on this word strange it is an important word to me <laughs> i like i like concept albums i like people who are making art for art's sake let me put it that way i think that's i think that's a really important through line so mm -hmm. i would love to branch out into those arenas and help other people get their stuff made and get their stuff heard totally um so let's back up. I'm very curious to know when you were growing up, who who in your family is listening to music and what are they listening to? Sure. Both of my parents were big music fans in their heyday. So there's a lot of music getting played as I was growing up. Great. And even a little bit being played live. You know, I remember my father, he plays a bit of harmonica. He'd have friends over strumming on acoustic guitars and they'd be playing through Beatles songs and you know, wow. different stuff like that. So I'd say it was there from an early age, that plus playing records. Now, my father's more of a Beatles fan, I think, mm -hmm. and maybe a, a little bit into the 70s, like Pink Floyd and sure, a little bit of Zeppelin. My mother is a little more of a folky, so she really introduced me to Bob Dylan and kind of that era of music. And, and these are some of the early early people uh, artists that i admired and kind of based a lot of what i was doing off of this idea of songwriting as the craft itself i think was really important to me for sure so they both had a big hand in it i would say um any siblings i have a younger sister so i can't say i got too much musical influence from her i don't, I don't have that we, we actually we it's funny we joke about that as a friend group because none of us have that older brother or older sister who was like feeding us material okay. yeah you know what i mean i've yeah, run yeah, into yeah, people like sure. that and if it tends to be if you have that older sibling who's just cooler than you and yeah. is ahead of the curve then you're getting a lot from them when for whatever reason you know coincidence none of us had that we were sort of were those people we had to find stuff for ourselves or share it amongst ourselves interesting that's really interesting because uh so what incidentally was she listening to uh, my younger sister she was really into uh the indigo girls i think was okay. big for her who i definitely yeah. like you know totally but i think we were far enough apart that we I, we probably didn't have it the biggest influence on each other in that way i would say yeah and uh is she musical at all at all as you are 
She doesn't play music, no, but I think she she has a love for music similar to me, probably probably also imbued on us by our parents. Yeah. yeah. And so who you are now today in playing music, who who inspires you? Like what 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 keeps you going in doing this? And did your parents' musical taste have anything to do with the influence that brought you to where you are today? I think it was a great jumping off point and I know we're going to talk about some songs that were that yeah. created inflection points for me, and I think uh, you know that'll be a good window into into that exact question, right? Because, like I said, they they gave me a template for what a baseline of good music was, what it meant to be good, right? To have this element of song writing or song yeah. craft, yeah. and beautiful singing, as in the Beatles, harmonies, things like that. So that stuff is still a through line for me of of what I really like. Yeah, you know that said. As they got older, they cared less and less about music. As one does, they're not as obsessed with music as I am. Yeah. Even in my in my current life, and so I'm I've more been on the because I played music more consistently. I've sought to discover music consistently throughout that time, and you know, just broaden my taste beyond I think what they have ever listened to. Actually, yeah, I was that was going to be my next question to you was are you do you uh, do you listen to and enjoy any of today's contemporary music oh absolutely yeah i think there's there's tons of good stuff going on now you do of course yeah. have to pick through a lot because there's a lot of material out there yes that's what i find yeah. it's it's like hard but like they're there you just have to do a little digging right absolutely yeah i think that you know it's one of the reasons we started the podcast because the the premise of the podcast 1001 album complaints is that we take a random selection from this book called 1001 albums you must hear before you die i think it was originally published in maybe the late 90s and it's gotten some updates since then and, wow. and kind of pull a random album from that listen to it and review it right but part of the reason we started it was to keep the possibility of new music coming into our lives yeah which can be hard as you get old you know who has time right Right. To like seek out new stuff all the time. There is a tendency, I assume in everybody, but certainly in me, yeah. to listen to this, the stuff I already know I like. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, um, yeah, it's familiar, you know, it's, and also a lot of music I'm sure that you listen to, it sounds like you prefer like an organic sound. Yeah. Like nothing too polished or like, you know how sometimes you can hear a songwriter and you're like, oh, they were making efforts to try and write a song as opposed to something that just kind of flows. Sure. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's accurate. I mean, there's different moods for different yeah. things. I'm an appreciator of pop music generally, but I don't spend a lot of time listening to the top 40. Sure. Um, I understand that electronic music is important and has its place, but I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of that. So yeah, yeah. speaking to your point and you know, but that said, I just think there's a lot of room for a lot of things in my taste profile and i try yeah. to remain open as much as i can um how would your music playing and writing songs and produce how would it have changed if you grew up in delaware with your friends making music if it were digital if it were digitized do you think that would have made a difference or you guys would have still been like hey let's go play let's still record yeah, I think I think we still would have done that. I don't think the era of digital recording it sort of depends on what you're talking about. You know, there's the yeah. digital aspect of how music is distributed, 
yeah. there's the digital aspect of how it's produced and mixed. And that second one probably has the the biggest influence in my mind on like yeah. what I do and don't enjoy. Yeah. Because I do think the CD era was generally not a great time for for music for the sonic quality of music mm-hmm. although great music was also produced in that era but like ultimately for me playing music even at that young age it was about the camaraderie it was about finding my tribe and knowing yeah. that this is the thing i wanted to build my identity around and, yeah. and work at to get better yeah. And it's nice when you have uh, people you play with that are on that same page, I imagine, right? You're not, of course. Like, yeah. You're not pulling teeth. They're, like, totally with you, and they're like, let's do this. Absolutely. Um, so it's very interesting to me. Can you t- tell us some more about – oh, actually, before I get to that question, what's uh, – what is it that you like about, quote-unquote, strange music, and who do you consider strange so one of the bands that I, I brought to talk about today was King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah. So that's a, they're a contemporary band. Yeah. And they're what I would call strange. In yes. That they, they don't seem to have a lot of restrictions on what genre they choose to play in. They mm-hmm. produce music at a really fast clip. I just think they're very creative and unbound by the rules of what it means to be a band. Mm-hmm. So I suppose that's that's a big part of what I mean by strange is just yeah carving your own path and not worrying too much about who's going to like it or what it means to the rest of your catalog or just yeah. just all these things just people who kind of chart their own path to me has always been interesting and so yeah, that's definitely that's the through line and I think that'll come up you know a lot in any music I'm going to tell you about yeah right on uh does uh, are you a frank zappa fan are you that kind of digging strange i had a big frank zappa he was a big influence on me young actually and in fact it's it's funny you mentioned you're talking about influences my father was a frank zappa fan especially early mothers of invention era nice yeah and so i listened to a lot to maybe the first five of those records yeah when i was real young and it definitely had an influence on me amazing now that said zappa's put out so much material after that and i am not <laughs> familiar with all of it i am not a <laughs> yeah yeah you know i'm a neophyte by comparison to people who are like really into zappa but i have listened to a lot of him and appreciated a lot and definitely. have you ever heard of the frogs because they seem like the band you know, they're just kind of off the beaten path and or like Jesus Lizard that's who made me you know when I'm reading King uh, you selected King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard I was like yeah. oh do you know uh, do you know um, the the I, you know I the do li- not no I, I well I've heard of the Jesus Lizard but I don't know yeah the Jesus Lizard okay yeah uh, funny they got but like another animals. another another big band for me real young was they might be giants yes off the same path yes and i'm I'm talking like when i was 12 or something and then i got really into them it's it's the first concert i ever i i often cited as the first concert i ever went to i mean i think my parents it's the first one where i went in alone to an all-ages show yes like 15 at a club so you know yeah, I think strange or off the beaten path has always kind of been an important piece. Not yeah. totally anti-pop, right? The Beatles yeah. were extremely successful, and I like plenty of pop music too. But 
if there's a little bit of weirdness in there, I think I just early and often associated weirdness with coolness. That's interesting. And I'm sure the Zappa exposure when you're younger probably had something to do with that. Absolutely. Yeah? Oh, yeah, especially that early stuff. And in fact, come to think of it, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but I recall that my dad, he saw me glomming on to those early Frank Zappa recordings and maybe they, they might be giant stuff. And he wanted me to like the Beatles, right? As fathers would with a son. And, yeah. he, and so his his window to get me into the Beatles was, hey, here's Magical Mystery Tour. They have this song called I Am the Walrus. This is freaking weird. Yeah. And he was, it, it, it works. You know, that was like my window into that. So <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, do you how about your folks now? What are they listening to? More of the same? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's probably relatively similar. I don't think they're, I don't think any, either of them would consider themselves the biggest music listeners in the world. Yeah. I feel like when I talk about music with my father, we're still talking about the Beatles or some, some yeah. offshoot. What do you think of your music? I think they enjoy it quite a bit. They're very encouraging people Great. and yeah, very loving. I mean, I, you know, yes, they're, they're, yeah. Good. Before we dive into uh, your choices, your picks, I'm very curious to know um, how you're able to juggle uh, both having this technical expertise and an MBA, which I just sure. find so fascinating, and and the music. And what got you into what you do with regards to utilizing your MBA to be like this sort of tech yeah. guru? I, I think I have a great answer for you, which is that music and my experience leading bands in my 20s was a big part of it. I went to undergrad for biology, and I had a job in a lab for a number of years, and that was going to be my career. It was going to be research, drug development, and... Mm. You know, I enjoyed it. It's it's intellectually stimulating. Yeah. The option there would have been to, to continue that would have been to go get a PhD and in, in one of those fields. But what I found was I was really getting enjoyment and I felt very good at this idea of band management. I think I think yeah. leading a band and I'm talking about an amateur band that's not really where no money or fame is coming in the door is a really interesting example of leadership. Yeah, because you don't really have much to leverage. You're not paying yeah. anybody. There's no money on the line. Yeah, it's kind of this agreement amongst friends that we're going to work hard. Yeah, for maybe no payoff. Right. So yeah. and of course, there's a lot of juggling in a job like that. When you're booking the gigs, you're writing the songs, you're running practice. Yeah. You know, managing recordings. So, yeah, I think when I when I took a seat down kind of at the end of my 20s and I said, what do I really what am I good at? What do I like doing? I wanted a job that was more leveraged my ability to lead, kind of stand up and talk to people, influence them, etc. Yeah. And that led me to move over to a tech startup, which in turn led me back to school to get a general education, an MBA. And, and yeah, kind of led me down this path now. And so now I feel like there is just so much more creativity in my role and thus it's just an easier fit for me talking is a lot of what i do mm -hmm. i mean yeah you say technical expertise it is that but it's a lot of it is so-called soft power influencing understand you know you talk to your software users about what they need mm -hmm. 
you still have to kind of interpret and read between the lines. So again, it's like a creative exercise. Yeah. That's, so that was that was sort of the path. Yeah. And I imagine also you're, uh, with regards to your leadership, you are in this position where you're kind of watching over everything and making sure that everything is flowing smoothly, which is yeah. akin to, as you said, being in a band. I mean, if you're in a band, you know, you want to make sure everything is like top notch and everything is in good spot. Um, I just find it so interesting that you're concurrent concurrently to that you're able to still maintain your podcast and making music with your friends digitally, I think is, uh, do you ever find it difficult? Do you ever find yourself in times where it's like, well, I really should be focusing on this, but I really want to write a song. Do you ever have like conflicts like that? Yeah, of, of course. I think <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day, right? Yeah. And you have to prioritize what you really care about. And so I often have moments of reflection of going like, what am I, what am I prioritizing? What am I not prioritizing? Mm -hmm. You know, what would I like to do more of? So you, you can't do everything. Certainly. Yeah. I think I will say that we designed our podcast specifically as a group effort so mm -hmm. that it would be easier to consistently produce it. And so we share that work, which really helps quite a bit. It's really funny now that you now that I found out what you based the show on, it completely mm -hmm. makes sense, and I think it's really witty. Like your, <laughs> I just find the podcast completely honest, which is something nice to hear in music. You know, when people are discussing music, um, there are a few Thank podcasts you. out there where they go into the history and stuff. But what's yeah. what I really love is like you guys will pinpoint an album. And I, I'm just blown away that it's from this book of like the albums you have to hear, Fair. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm, yeah. if, if I may, who came up with this idea for the podcast? I think it was a riff based on a text string, right? It, it originated from a pandemic project. Yeah, where we there you go. See each other. <laughs> and we were missing ha having beers with each other and talking at the bar and you know, and I, I think literally it was a text string where we were joking about the Doobie Brothers song, What a Fool Believes. <laughs> and it was just like going, you know, just everyone just contributing, getting their little witticisms yeah. in, joking about different parts of the song. And I think it was Tom, who's my buddy Tom, co-host, who said, hey, this should be a, this should be a show. And we sort of, you know, we sort of took it offline there, talked about how to do it, talked about a little bit about formatting how yeah. to make it something we could do consistently. You know, this was important to me is that if we were mm -hmm. going to do it, A, I wanted, I was okay with getting better as we go, you know, yeah. and just getting something out there. And I think you can see our evolution if you listen to all the shows. Now we're at, now we're on like 145 or something. Nice. So we've been doing it a long time. Yeah. Oh, I got to go back and listen to the, how it started. So there's that, do you feel like there's been an evolution from the beginning up to oh, right, right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we learned a lot from audio quality stuff and mastering to segmentizing the show to, I think, getting better at telling the story of the band and kind of going a little deeper on the research. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, of course, it's been a journey, right? And yeah. what's nice, though, is what was there right from the start, which I think you you were complimentary about, is the rapport, because we know each other so well. These are the conversations we've been having at yeah. the bar or in the van after you can the hear gig. It. Yeah, it's just right. like, it comes out very naturally, which is great. It's Because right. I've heard some podcasts, to be honest with you, where they'll focus on a song that's very technical. It's just kind of stiff. And usually it's like one or at the, you know, like two people. 
but it's like all scientific. So it's just I just feel the camaraderie, which is really cool. It comes yeah. up across, which is great. Um, totally, and that's obviously that we we crafted that over twenty five years. Like I said, you know, I understand <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't come cheap, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's just so much history there. We're we're brothers, you know. Once you've yeah. been through all this stuff with these people, that's just how it is. Um, all right, so now I want to jump into your three choices. And after I play them, we'll be right back, folks, to figure out and understand why Rob has chosen these songs. <laughs> Okay. 
That was a David Bowie song. Am I gonna do this by myself? What is it? Do it by yourself.
listening to the Rainbow Music of
Okay, folks, that was The Dripping Tap by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, as Rob mentioned before. Uh, why this song? So I tried to pick songs that all hit me at a certain moment in my life, different moments of my life, and were inflection points in how I thought about music or kind of re-energized my interest in music. This is the first song from this band that really smacked me in the face it's a recent example came out in 2022 mm -hmm. and it just reminded me of how great rock and roll music can be yeah i i really fell in love with this band after after hearing this and playing it on repeat yeah and you know it relates to some of what we were talking about earlier in the sense i think there's like a sense of pure ecstatic joy that this band and in particular this recording pulls puts out into the world you're yeah. right and that's it's very life affirming to me the fun that they're having yeah. comes through on the tape i was just you gonna know? say like it sounds like they're having a really good time just rocking out yeah. and as you mentioned earlier i guess it's one of these bands who, who really don't care it's all about for the love of music and this is what they have to do right yeah it's clearly my understanding it's clearly a, a group of old friends they're putting out they put out a lot of material so the catalog is a little intimidating but i think this is a good starting place if anyone's wow. curious this is the first track off of their 2022 release omnium gatherium and i think one of the things they're doing really well that i'm impressed by they're i think they're pioneering a new way to interact with their fans I'm very impressed kind of by the fan base. That's part of what drew me in. And this is where they're they're going to get some, I think, rightful comparisons to Fish and the Grateful Dead. Okay. Yeah. They can they can be a little jammy. I can hear that. Yeah, the way jammy. that those bands are. What's weird is that they aren't always that way. And in, if you know Fish and the Grateful Dead, they often get compared, even though they don't sound that similar, right? Agreed. What's but but what's similar about those those bands, and I think this one too, is how they interact with the fans, how they build a fan community, and the kind of level of obsession and dedication it's that amazing. the fan base has to them. So one of the things King Gizzard is doing that I think is a a nice extension to what their forebearers, Grateful Dead and Fish, have done mm -hmm. is not only do they record so many of the live shows and release them, they release them as they have this program called Bootleggers where they'll print some vinyl records of these live shows, but they say anyone can download these and print your own version of the vinyl and then amend it in any way you like, change wow. the packaging, whatever, and sell it through your own record label. Like whatever, all you have to do is like wow. send us some copies. And so one of the things that's created that's really, you can imagine how it's hard to create, right? But over time, yeah. If you go to the King Gizzard subreddit, for instance, you see people that are a very excited about this band, but people who just collect these different vinyl variants and these different show, you know what I mean? It is, so yeah. it's an, you see how it's like an evolution of the tape trading yeah. thing that the Grateful Dead pioneered, right? Absolutely. All those boot, so yeah, bootlegs. I just think they're a really interesting band. They do have a lot of different modes. Sometimes they're more jammy. Sometimes they're more metal heavy metal-y sometimes you know even electronic sometimes but they just yeah they just seem to be doing it for the love of art and just open to change constantly and yeah and to be honest like i've always been i think it's realistic for musicians or artists to want to follow their whims through different genres and different ideas you know yeah it's it's kind of weird how not accepted that is 
to change so much. Yeah. I just respect that. And how did you discover them? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I had been hearing their name around, you know, they have a weird (laughs) name. It kind of catches your ear. For sure. But I didn't, I hadn't, I think I looked at the catalog on Spotify a couple times and I was intimidated. I didn't know where to start. (laughs) And then this one came out and I think they released it as a single, even though it's like a 20 minute track. Yeah. They released it as a single and I listened to it and I was like, oh, this, this was the one that, this was the gateway. Yeah. And then I've listened to, you know, tons of their stuff since then and I've seen them live since then. And, you know, I'll say one other thing too, which is like, I'm really, I've always been fascinated by songs that, take on the challenge of fewer changes Mm -hmm. because with that challenge you have to figure out different ways to create dynamics and resolution and peaks and valleys and things tension and resolve in these alternate ways that it it isn't chord based you have to figure it out through rhythm through melody through subtle feel changes in what the band is doing so to me this is uh, this is a great example of that it's yeah. like very it's like you get it almost gets into a trance like state yeah there's chanting and it feels very live i'm sure it was recorded live you know maybe with yeah. some overdubs sounds but... live to me exactly so that's i just dig stuff like that i would say um i've occasionally attempted to make something like that but it's it's never come out quite this good so i'm still <laughs> aiming there and uh before that we heard wake up by the arcade fire i love arcade fire why this song so i was thinking about it because it's the 20 year anniversary of this record yeah this hit me it's another one that i heard right when it came out you know one of the things i wanted to do is i wanted to pick songs that i felt like i would they were not only a part of my life but that i discovered them at the time they actually were a thing yeah because I tend to be very retrospective. You know, I'm a big classic rock fan. I tend to go and discover things from way before I was born even, right? Yeah. But it's the 20-year anniversary of this Arcade Fire record, Funeral, their first God, record. I can't believe it's been that long. It's wild, right? Yeah. And that time makes me think of my first experience moving to a big city, which was San Francisco in my early 20s, assembling my yeah. first real rock band. We already talked about them. They were called The Chop with all my friends this record came out and i have to admit at this time i wasn't paying super close attention to modern music mm-hmm. because i couldn't afford cable or mtv there was no streaming couldn't really yeah. afford to buy cds you know this was like a my poorest era yeah and i didn't really listen to the radio anymore or yeah i occasionally did i guess that's probably how arcade fire <laughs> came on yeah my scene but what i remember is a close friend went to see arcade fire must have been in the early part of this tour at a small club in San Francisco called Bottom of the Hill, which is like, in my mind, was, is still the coolest club in San Francisco. And it's the one I idolized and dreamed about playing. Yeah. Uh, and I and I later did play there. But nice. It must have been right at the beginning of there. It was like right before they blew up. And my friend wow. was just totally mesmerized. She was just like, this was the most amazing show I've ever seen. It was packed to the gills. Wow. You have to listen to this band. So I must have gotten a burned copy of this CD or something. Yeah. And I liked all of it. I do like all of it still. I think it's very it's very vital. But it this song in particular smacked me in the face. There is no volume too loud <laughs> to rock yeah. this song. Yeah. I feel. And I because this was also at the outset of let's say my first major effort at having a band and writing songs. This definitely influenced my songwriting Interesting. quite a bit. This idea of like baroque 
pop music that has yeah. a lot of melodic elements to it, but also has these like bells and whistles, you know, there's glockenspiels and, you know, yeah, other string arrangements in the background and it's just kind of subtlety. Yeah. It's kind of like Easter egg way of writing songs. And also, you know, I'll say one other thing about Arcade Fire is there's yeah. an earnestness to it. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that rock songs could be earnest and exciting and sing along. Yeah. But also have some subtlety to them, which is just important to me. Yeah. So with with these two songs, with Dripping Tap and uh, the Dripping Tap and Wake Up, is it the type of thing where you'll hear them at any point and you're just like, yes, like it, it still affects you the same way as when you oh, first heard yeah. them? Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. This is this is get hyped music for sure. Both of these. Yeah. And I, I wanted to mention, speaking of subtlety. Yeah. Because I feel like this is a relatively well-known song compared to the other the other two. And yeah. I wanted to mention that this is the kind of thing we do on our podcast, right? But it took me a while to figure out that the second bouncy half of the song is the exact same melody as the big sing-along song. So I just wonder if people have realized. Oh, yeah. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, exactly yeah. the yeah, same. It's the like, exact same. Just recontextualize, which I just think is such a smart trick to pull yeah. on the listener. Yeah. Uh, I, if I stand correct here, I believe didn't Beck on Sea Change do something similar where songs like he kept reusing the same. Um, oh, interesting. I think he used like the same chord progression or things, but like mixed them around on different tracks or something. Um, yeah, that could be. That could be. I'd have to double check that. I haven't listened to that one in a while. Um, and Although then I've, meeting... I've... yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I've I have one quick Beck anecdote, which is I saw him on that Sea Change tour. Yeah, maybe oh, wow. right before Sea Change came out. Yeah, and it was at a small theater here in San Francisco. It was when I first got here, and. The, the anecdote, he was great, but the anecdote was that I went out into the lobby to buy a beer, and yeah. the only beer they had on sale was Bex. No <laughs> I just way. Thought that was, I just thought that was great. Oh, my God, that's great. I love that. <laughs> uh, and that must have been an impressive tour. I mean, he's great live. Yeah, I've seen him a few times. This was like a super pared-down mm. acoustic thing that he was doing. And that's cool. So I've... I've seen him much more, you know, dancey and electro, and that's, yeah. that's exciting too. But yeah, he's he's a great performer. I have a lot of respect for him. So there was, uh, I'm from New York City originally. Now I'm also out here on the West Coast in Cali, and um, there was this spot called the Knitting Factory. I don't know if you've heard of that, but I've heard of it. Yeah. So the old they had two locations. The first location, which was kind of like a dive, they would have a bar, and the stage was upstairs. He played there like early on. I think it was a little before um loser in that album mm -hmm. and he apparently was making such a racket and jumping up and down he put a hole in the floor <laughs> and you could see up onto the stage and oh that's one gosh. of the reasons why they they did this renovation they're like let's just find a new place it's good. so i think that's great like beck <laughs> broke their ceiling and floor it's just like wild yeah. to me He's a, he's a great example of a weirdo who it's and yeah I don't have to like everything he does. It's not even about that. It's just that I respect that he's out there trying to do new stuff. Exactly, and he there really is like an evolution. See, I love that when like bands have like this evolution, like the Beatles. You know, like there's this evolution. Absolutely. They don't stay the same. Uh, you know, unless you're Nickelback, I guess you kind. Of <laughs> <laughs> um, and then setting off that uh, musical explosion, we heard the man who sold the world. 
uh, by one of my favorites, Nirvana Unplugged. That's such a great performance. Uh, why did you choose this song? Well, of course, the Unplugged session. You're right. It, it really is. Amazing. Just, excellent album, front to back. Yeah. And I think it came out, what, a few months before Kurt Cobain killed himself, mm -hmm. which was a seminal moment, seemingly, in my life. I was into Nirvana. Same. I was that right age to be really affected by that. Yeah. And MTV was playing this constantly, I think, especially after he died. On loop, but it seemed. On a loop, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it, so it's just a great record in its own right. But I think the reason I wanted to bring it up was because it was a real big gateway for mm -hmm. me. It was a it was a bridge between two worlds. It was right at the moment in my life where I was just starting to have my own musical taste. Mm -hmm. So, I was interested in music from a relatively early age. Like I said, I was started watching MTV religiously from age you know nine to thirteen. And I was pretty much everything that MTV told me was cool was what I thought was cool, right? I didn't, yeah. and some of that stuff is good, by the way. Yeah. I'm not really complaining, but I'm just saying I didn't really have my own agency in it, right? And I'd, I'd similarly, I think I'd spent maybe a year or so getting into some of my parents' music, Beatles, etc., maybe buying some classic rock, greatest hits comps, mm -hmm. but I hadn't really had that breakthrough of my own thing yet. And so this is a cover of a David Bowie song. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just remember, well, first of all, I mean, it's a great song and it has great. that really cool Locrian riff thing. Yes. It sounds very like Middle Eastern or whatever. And so I was entranced by that. Right. And I had yeah. to go digging. And at the end of the track, he says it's a David Bowie song. And I'd probably heard David Bowie's greatest hits or something, but instead of going out and buying unplugged at that time, also, cause it was on TV all the time. I didn't need to buy it. Right. Uh, I went and bought the man who sold the world, the record, the David Bowie record yeah you know, from the bargain bin of the CD store and I just consider that David Bowie was a big influence on me overall hmm. but it was also like a a moment where I was breaking away from my parents taste they never really got to David Bowie they, they don't dislike him or anything but they, mm -hmm. it was kind of beyond their time and it just yeah. felt like mine you know it was that first moment yeah. where like oh I'm going getting uh, digging out the deep cuts for me it's it's yeah. my thing no one yeah. you know my parents don't really understand it's separate from that separate from mtv so that was yeah it was just a rad experience and i think it's just a big part of my musical journey interesting uh yeah what got you uh into nirvana may i ask just like the I mean, time never mind age i think it was just literally seeing the smells like teen spirit video on mtv yeah going like what the heck is what? this and yeah. buying it you know buying the tape you know yeah Incidentally, incidentally when you saw they might be giants live uh was it just the two of them because i've seen just the two of them and then i you know they also have a band back in them they no they had a band okay i want to say it was either right before or right after john henry came out which is oh, right wow. when they started doing more stuff with the band yeah because i think they first came on my radar probably around the time Apollo 18 came out, but it was because they, they did a cartoon. They, they, uh, Istanbul, uh, ended up on tiny tunes, which was yes, like a cartoon it's I watched. Right. Yes. And I was like, Oh, this is weird. Um, <laughs> and then Particle and Man entertained and Particle, Particle Man, Man exactly. I remember was on some sort of record, t uh, TV show too, I think maybe. No, I think it was the same. It was literally the same episode. The same for episode, some reason yeah. they broke yeah. from their programming on this kid's cartoon show. The show was called Tiny Tunes. It was like Looney Tunes, but they were younger. 
and <laughs> I know this is really this is like it's old amazing. Stuff, no, I'm getting. They used to have back. this. Well, they used to have this programming for kids who would come home from school, you know, between three o'clock and five o'clock, I guess, right? Yeah. And I was a latchkey kid, and like I was glued to the television set, yeah. watching cartoons like Tiny Toons and Tailspin and things like Ducktales, you know. And anyway, Tailspin. But it wasn't normal for them to do something like this. They just randomly go like, "Oh, we're gonna just like do music videos for some reason." I don't. I never fully got the story of why that happened. But yeah. it was really awesome, and I thought the songs were great. And it was like the characters from the show, like in a music video for these. They might be giant songs. Yeah. And yeah, so that just that really clicked something in my head. Definitely. Did it blow your mind when you found out that it wasn't just a, like a song created for the cartoon, but an actual band? exactly yeah i think i i can't remember the exact process i feel like my you know my parents might have heard them on npr yeah they, they had a sense that i was a weird kid who would like stuff like this <laughs> so i might have asked them about it and or shown it to them or something and they were like oh yeah i kind of know what this is and they got me the tape that's amazing yeah uh did you ever, when you guys were playing out, when you guys were first starting out, did you have a demo that you guys would send out? Was the goal to try oh, and sure. get signed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. We we handed out a lot of uh, burn CDs with our crappy home recordings on them and later our slightly better recordings made at a, a recording college. One of these things where you get free time because you go in at like 4 a.m. You know. Nice. And uh, but, you know, it was nothing much ever really came of that, to be honest. We, we were also very focused in that band on the live show mm -hmm. and making every single live show theatrical. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's a callback to David Bowie and and people like that who just always I could tell had this big stage presence. Yeah. To me, there's just something about the theatricality of, of a band playing like if I'm going to. If you're going to be in a little bar and I'm going to be so loud that you can't help but listen to me, I want to be a visual spectacle as well. So I'd say that's probably where a lot of our focus went, maybe a little less so on the recording aspect. Right. Kind of got more into that over time. Yeah. Also, I guess that's uh, a bit of the Bowie influence, right? Like he's such a showman. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I do agree. Like uh, there's something to be said for the artists or the band that get up there and they just you're not expecting it, but they just take it to a whole other level, whether or not that means they're really funny or silly or just gaining your attention with the work that they do, their talent. Um, yep. I think that's really, really uh, awesome. Do you, do you ever discuss music with your colleagues? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's I can't shut up about music any, anywhere, anytime, pretty much. And so what's the if you had to generalize, what's the consensus with those you work with? Like what is, what's what's the genre that they you find they listen to the most or like the bands that are popular with for them? I mean, it's a real it's a real mix. I would say the people who actually really like music. There's a, I work with a couple of metalheads. So sometimes when I'm diving deeper into that world, I talk to them about that my yeah. boss is into like electronic music and grindcore which i can't really stomach too much but if we occasionally connect on like black sabbath or something yeah <laughs> uh, i have a coworker who's like really into yeah a lot of modern music yeah um, what's what's the band uh radcliffe and the night sweats is a big one i mean i don't I know, it just, you know it's, radcliffe it's, and the night night sweats wow Nathaniel Radcliffe. I'm getting it wrong. I'm just thinking of stuff people have mentioned to me recently. Yeah, yeah. But 
Yeah, I mean, clearly, I've come to understand that my level of interest in music and talking about music is outsized uh, compared to what most people care about. And frankly, doing the podcast every week and researching and coming up with all these little tidbits of musical history has only made me more insufferable to listen to. So I try to keep a lid on it most of the time. But... do they listen to are they aware of your podcast do they tune in and check you guys out yeah of course some people do it sort of depends on your level of interest in this thing i think our goal was to make a podcast for us like something that we would want to listen to so i think if you're someone who really cares about music and likes to hear here's the other thing you know one of the one of the ways it's directed kind of back at the people who make it is Mm -hmm. i find that learning more about how the piece was made how the songs Mm -hmm. were made the, not only the details of how they're recorded, but where the artist is at in their career, what they're thinking about, what the pressures they're under, etc. Always, always makes me appreciate it more. Even if I still don't love it, I still gain more appreciation for it by yeah. learning, right? And I'm just a nerd that way. I've just always been that kind of person who by reading about something, I sort of appreciate I it more. It. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. that's, that's you know, that's sort of the intended audience. And for people who, like us, want to stay in touch with uh, the idea of new musical discovery. Not every single record we do is new to us, obviously, and mm-hmm. we're all different people, so that, that varies. But I'm I'm surprised by how many of these records I've never heard a lick of, and it's fun to go it deep and really listen to them intently on headphones for a week and and you know give your your take on it. And um, you, you yeah. alluded to it before, but we tend to be pretty flippant about our opinions i mean yeah. i think it's just the nature of of comedy and of broadcasting to take it hard that's opinion. the best yeah well of that's course, great we you're not sh- holding back any punches yeah. you're just keeping it real you know uh what do you well, think yeah of- i yeah no go ahead I, I think so much there's so much content of just praise of hey this is my favorite record here's why i get it i have those records in my life absolutely too. but i just feel like it's to a certain extent that's been done to death i yeah. do we do try to put a disclaimer out there every week that of course we have respect i yeah. know <laughs> i think i know better than most how hard it is to yeah. not only write songs put yourself out there but to make something really good yeah and to make it to this list arbitrary as this list may be of 1000 what albums you must hear before you die is a huge accomplishment like there's yeah nothing i could say or my idiot friends can say we'll take that away from you right <laughs> yeah but it's fun to poke fun and what we find is we even like to poke fun at stuff we really do like because there's always <laughs> something goofy <laughs> Going yeah. back to Michael McDonald in the booth singing some crazy high vocal line. It's like, that's just funny. <laughs> Absolutely. It's also interesting to see, like, yeah, as you said, like where they are in their career and why they make the choices that they do. Again, Absolutely. like the evolution of an artist. Um, and what's funny is like you guys may poke fun at uh, an artist or a band and that album, but then they probably have a, another album that might be better or is just like more powerful. Right. So I think that's really interesting. You know, lists to me are very interesting. You know, the fact that like you got to listen to this song or when they're like, this is, uh, you know, Billboard uh, charts, top 200. It's, you know, Rolling Stone has that list, right? Like the top 500 songs of all time. And uh, I mean, I think that's just like so difficult, you know, to try to narrow it down to that. And would you consider consider yourself a multi-genre fan? Like you can listen to literally everything? Absolutely. And, you know, I would say I yeah, I just kind of go where the the muse wants to take me. Right. I try to explore. I try to discover the podcast helps with that. Right. It helps get exposure to more stuff. But I would say also 
I've been studying jazz piano for the last couple of years. And wow. That has led me to a lot more appreciation of jazz music, which is yeah. not very well represented on this list, I should point out. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm open. And the genres I don't currently appreciate, I'm open to liking them in the future. It's just, Same. you know, it has to come to me, so. Uh, how, is, uh, how is it playing uh, jazz piano for you? That's quite a switch, oh, yeah? From, from guitar and band to like, some, you know? It seems like well, a little I, more personalized and personal, intimate. Yeah, a little bit more. I decided another pandemic thing. I'd always wanted to play piano, and I started taking lessons in 2020. So I'm mm -hmm. like three-ish, three and a half years in now. Yeah. And, uh, I, of course, I'm already applying it to my music and my songwriting as well. But I didn't really want to take that classical path of reading music. I was more interested in learning, going a little deeper on music theory and composition. Mm -hmm. And so I'm mostly studying standards with that with an eye towards that with like how are they composed how do you write melodies and chords things like that and why jazz well again i just saw it as like a two a fork in the road of how one might go about learning this instrument one fork would be classical which didn't seem that interesting to me yeah and i hooked up with a great teacher who cares deeply especially about an old era of jazz music like 30s 40s kind of stuff yeah. Yeah, and I just really connected with this person. And so I've just let that take me where it's going to go. I think I was I did have some idea like wh what kind of piano player I wanted to be, though. I didn't just want to be able to play chord. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not diminishing it, but like just kind of being able to play chords in a rock band or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a goal, but that's not the end goal. I really wanted my left hand to be really competent. Mm -hmm. So I've particularly been studying boogie woogie stuff ray charles you know things of that nature that like leverages left hand a lot and that just takes time and energy right so yeah absolutely and then what i'm curious to know is like uh well have you written any songs uh in the yep. uh, jazz piano yeah yeah uh, a little less in the in the jazz genre but i have started writing on the piano consistently and so one of the records we're working on now is going to be released under the chop name but it's like a it's a very different genre wise than the last thing we did Interesting. Uh, very piano driven kind of 60s blue-eyed soul kind of thing oh wow that's great yeah um and do you find do you find your, the music process in terms of this writing and lyrics or what have you different than playing guitar like has no, it changed totally your different. approach yeah absolutely yeah yeah, they feed into each other, right? Because and it's what, part of what made me want to go back and take some lessons on on technique to clean up my guitar technique. Because I had gotten very competent on guitar, even, dare I say, good at guitar over the years, right? Yeah. But what playing piano made me realize was there was this, first of all, the music theory, I think, is much easier to study from the perspective of piano versus guitar. Interesting. So stuff that I had tried learning on guitar in the past, but always kind of bounced right off my forehead, became much more obvious and easy. Yeah. And so I tried to, I was trying to, I wanted to make sure I was going back and applying that to my guitar playing. And it just also made me realize the importance of fundamentals and technique, which I had mm -hmm. never gotten. And so the first thing when I started taking guitar lessons, he's like, okay, you clearly can play guitar, but here's what you're doing wrong. And it's, you know, it's what's, it's what's holding you back. So yeah. let's break some of these bad habits kind of thing. And are you one of these, uh, I mean, I know you're talented, but are you one of these talented folks that can hear a song and then just start playing it? No, I don't. I don't believe. That's hard. I mean, yes, there are there are people like that, but right. I've gotten better at ear training. I do think it's a skill one can practice. Yeah, 
I just think that like this idea of super of natural talent, so to speak, is is a little overrated. It does exist. Perfect pitch exists, etc. Mm-hmm. You still need to develop it. And I think for most of us mere mortals, it's about consistency and practice. Yeah. So I guess I'm just bristling at that a little bit because I just believe in the work. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that. Back. And so uh again, remind me, are you uh your you know, your musical tribe when like physically when was the last time you all have been together and do you plan on playing out together if you haven't in a while last time we the whole co-host group that live on in different parts of the country was together was over the summer last summer Mm -hmm. we got together in the studio working on this blue-eyed soul shop record i mentioned oh great okay and uh, when we finish that record, which I think will be relatively soon, yeah, we might get together and play some shows, probably on the East Coast. Yeah. But the my California friend Tom and my co-host, yeah, we played a show in November, and we're probably going to play some more shows this spring. We're just trying to manage it with people's Great. schedules and families and stuff. Just the two of you, or will you find other players to join you guys? Oh no, no, yeah, we have a we have like a, a full band here. Yeah. Um. And how how did that come about with meeting other musicians that you guys felt like, yeah, like a kinship with to start playing with? Well, it's funny. The drummer actually is someone we also work with. And so oh. he made the mistake of, of telling me uh, probably two years ago that he played <laughs> drums. And I was like, oh, we should, we should play together. <laughs> Why and the secrets? I, right. And no, and then I followed up. He was just he just likes to joke about the fact that he just like mentioned it offhandedly. And then I kind of followed up doggedly like, no, no, we have to do this. And then we made a band out of it. But yeah. Oh, it's great. Um, and do you listen to hip hop? Yeah, I, I do. I'm definitely not an aficionado, but I appreciate it. But you appreciate it, yeah. Uh, same with country, would you say? Because my whole thing well, was I mean, like older, I used to... more. Yes, but... I'm. I'm the same. Uh, the same yeah. milk. Like I love the old country, Hank Williams, and all those old old cats. I also like yeah. some outlaw, you know, country like the Willie yeah, Nelson and stuff. Uh, I love Willie Nelson. Yeah. Right. What do you, but what do you make of today? Because it's become so mainstream, right? Country music? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that much about it, to be honest with you. But yeah. it's funny It's funny you mentioned it because I had a note here when we were talking about Man Who Sold the World. Mm-hmm. Nirvana covering Bowie, which was an entrance to this whole catalog of David Bowie for me. I have to remind myself that when I hear a cover like... Yeah. Luke Combs doing Fast Car. Yeah, there you and go. And I go, and my curmudgeonly, you know, old man voice in my head says, what, "This is pointless cover. He did yeah. nothing with the song. What no chance. Why? Why? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing this?" Yeah. But I have to remind myself. Then I remind myself that these moments can be that window for someone else. A hundred percent. All their world. Then they so learn about Tracy Chapman. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you just gotta like let it be i'm just saying i have those two sides of myself yeah but the truth is i don't i don't know that much about modern pop music or country music only what kind of filters through and gets into my ears right so i, so I know even less about country i know a little more about pop music because yeah you know i listen to like the olivia rodrigo record for instance you know stuff like that but yeah do you have any children per chance I do not. That probably helps me get a lot more of this stuff done, right? <laughs> well, I was going to ask if you, you know, if at any point in your life you do have children, what can you see yourself playing around them? 
I mean, I'm a, I just am a huge fan. One of the things that playing piano has opened up for me and is it's brought me back to the joy of just kind of sitting there playing through a pop song and singing. Yeah. Just kind of riffing. And I used to do that a lot with acoustic guitar and I still do sometimes. Yeah. But I sort of got away from that in my playing. And so now we have a piano in my, in my, you know, main room downstairs in my living room. Yeah. And I love nothing more than just kind of trying something for the first time yeah on that so yeah i just keep it really really loose I and mean, i think there's a lot of great songs out there from a plethora of artists i don't want to restrict it totally so but i also so i imagine that'd be great so the so your kids would be able to hear your own music because you'd be performing sure. and doing your things at home and then you'd be able to play them the music that inspired you which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely absolutely you know? i mean i think what I've, you know, the jazz has helped me learn this too. It's a study of songs in, yeah. it, it, as much as it's a study of technique and players. And yeah. really great songs persist, you know, yeah. and they sound good in lots of different contexts. And that's kind of how you know it's great, I think. Dude, and so, yeah. Yeah. I, I put, sometimes I put my own songs up against some of these great songs on the piano, just that's in my good. own ear, just to hear them, just to see how they kind of stack up. You know, I think that's an interesting exercise. Will we ever hear a, a, a jazz-based uh, Beverly Crushers album? <laughs> I would love to. We actually we have a big jazz player in that group. He plays trombone and keys. And we did, even if you go to Sick Bay, there's a song called Nightbird that's like very traditional oh, kind of wow. jazz. But I would love I to love write trombone. some more of that music. I love I'm, jazz trombone. It's so oh, rare. It's it's great. The drunkest of all instruments. Yes. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like this drunk. It's a yeah. great description. I would, I, I'd love to get into writing that stuff. In fact, I was at a local, I just moved to kind of a new town in California. Uh -huh. And so I've been trying to meet more musicians. And I just started going to like a jazz jam. That's like a weekly thing. And I got up on stage last night and, you know, great. it's still kind of new to me. Right. But I, yeah. I would love to write stuff like that so obviously you feel i mean you're already a performer but you now that you're doing jazz piano you felt comfortable enough to get up there and just rock the piano well i brought my guitar actually but oh, okay, I'm, I'm there working you go. up to to jumping on the piano <laughs> <laughs> and are you playing when you play like last night did you bring an acoustic or an electric electric yeah. electric yeah uh and do you play with a bunch of different um sounds do you have pedals that you use or do you like to keep it straight ahead oh i mean last night i just brought the guitar and plugged in because it's right you know, clean tone i think it's appropriate for that kind of music but like I'm in general when you're jamming with your pals you know yeah i have a pedals i like i have a distortion pedal and an overdrive pedal yeah and uh a proco rat which is like the you know smashing pumpkins uh distortion kind of thing excellent yeah. It's, a, it's always fun to play with those sounds and a delay pedal. It you know, really depends on the type of music. So you have to kind of gauge it based on what the song is called for there. Yeah. And what kind of music, if they were to remain together, because I, there were rumors that Kurt Cobain would have perhaps left Nirvana. Mm -hmm. But if he didn't or he, he did, what kind of music do you think Kurt Cobain and Nirvana... Like, does Foo Fighters still happen, you think, if Kurt's still around? No, I don't. Uh, I doubt it. It's actually it's funny. We talked about it recently. Interesting. As part of a podcast we were doing, how it's easy to overlook how hard it was for Dave Grohl to make that switch. 
Yeah. And, you know, of course, what he's accomplished with it, he's arguably the biggest rock star on the planet. Absolutely. Um, I at agree least with of that. his age group. And yeah. to have <laughs> yeah. two huge successes like that in the different, you know, to start Foo Fighters, to switch instruments, to not play Nirvana songs. Yeah. Uh, there's something really, really impressive about it. So I, I have to believe that it required a pretty big shaking of the tree of him to, yeah. to want to make that leap, I'm going to guess. Did you ever hear the story behind his writing a Marigold? How he wanted, not. yeah, he apparently wanted it. He was like, hey, I wrote this. Maybe we could put it on in utero. And he played it. And then I guess Kurt was like, well, this would make a good B-side. So it was released, but it was actually a B-side. It wasn't on the album itself, which I find mm. really interesting. You know, I don't know what their deal was, but I, I just always thought that that was interesting. Um, they say that in the band itself, you know, in terms of writing, Kurt Cobain got like 75%, and then those guys split 25 you know? Um, Fair enough, yeah. So, I mean, so it, I mean, perhaps maybe, you know, Grohl was, uh, was destined to just sort of branch out and do his own thing. You know, the rumors were that, like, uh, Michael Stipe was working with Kurt Cobain, and I think, like, people were saying, like, maybe he wants to get out uh, of the band because it was too much. It's just, I, yeah. you know, I think about maybe. stuff like that, you know? No, totally, and I, I think I read somewhere that Grohl almost joined Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as the drummer. Oh, wow. He was, like, thinking about it, or it was offered to him or something, and he's like, nah, I'm just going to go make this record on my own, just see what happens. And Amazing. Worked and out, I, so. And is it, I think, isn't the first album just pretty much all him? It's all him, but let me add to that by saying and I only know this from podcast research, right? Is yeah. that the second album, which has Everlong on it, yeah. is also, he recorded it and arranged it with a band. And then he went home to his home studio and he was like, eh, I'm not really satisfied with the drums. So he redid the drums. So like a song like Everlong, Amazing. the two coolest things about it by far, which are the guitar and the drums. And the drums are so sick on that song. They're yeah. It's crazy. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I never knew that. Did you ever have you ever had a chance to see Foo Fighters live? I have not, sadly. I have not. If you could go to any show throughout history, what show would you go to? Who would you go Talking see? Talking Heads. Stop making sense. Wow. And why? I think it's that ecstasy thing we talked about, the trance, the chanting. I just feel like that would be one of the greatest things to see live. I love I mean, I love the band. I love that music. I love totally. that era of the music. But, you know, there are a lot of great bands to go see. But yeah. I just feel like that live would be greatly enhanced. Yes, absolutely. And it's nice that David Byrne is still doing his thing, you know? Oh, absolutely. I've seen him a few times. And he's he's great. Yeah, he's great. Um, well, hey, I want to thank you so much for being on the Rainbow Flipper Musical Explosion. Uh, I just... I think that you're extremely talented. I want to tell everyone to please visit again, and I'll put it in this episode's uh, description down below. Linktr.ee slash the chop unlimited. And when you go there, you're going to see a whole bunch of fun stuff. They have merch. You can check out and subscribe to their YouTube channel. Listen to a thousand one album uh, complaints. <laughs> the title alone cracks me up. 
I love that it says complaints. It's just yeah. so good. You know, truth in advertising. You know, we want yeah. to get you prepared. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. You know what you're going to get right there. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, please check out uh, Rob Cassis's music because I think uh, I, it's just a lot of a lot of fun. And I actually didn't realize that that was you. So I was yeah. just like, wow. I thought th these were just bands you were producing, but you're obviously self-producing and performing, which is yeah. That always yeah, blows my correct. mind too. Yeah, Actually, we have a lot of fun. It's a uh, it's a it's a cool way to stay in touch with music and with your friends. And I think we mentioned it, but yeah, the Ghost Beef Chop record, the most recent Chop record, is called Ghost Beef. It's an Arby's concept record, heavy metal concept record mm -hmm. about um, a fast food tyrant who rules the land with a meaty fist. And Beverly Crushers is a concept band about Star Trek: The Next Generation. So we write all songs about Star Trek and i know that's it's just as nerdy as it sounds but i think it's a lot right. of fun and we take it i'm a big fan of taking a ridiculous idea and treating it with dead seriousness <laughs> yes totally um oh what i just i wanted to ask you with regards to that oh yeah so is it how is it to edit yourself and produce yourself i i had meant to ask you that earlier like you know you're wearing these different hats do you sure. sometimes ask, like, hey, how does this sound to you? Or are you just, like, focused and you're like, this is how it should be arranged in sound? I think every once in a while, I find that a really good – you have to trust your instincts, right? Because who are you really making it for other than you? And mm -hmm. I mean literally you. And we have an understanding in all our music production that the person who brings the song, who's kind of the main writer behind the song, ultimately has final say on how it, how it gets arranged and produced, right? Even though there might be other input along the way. Mm -hmm. and so. You're the one that's going to be listening to it 10 yeah. years from now and hate XYZ or love it. You know, you have to please yourself. But that said, I think it can be really helpful to play it for other people. Not so much to hear their suggestions or even what they say. Right. But because it has this element of performance and you hear it differently when you're playing it for someone else. And you go like, oh, I got to change that. I got to make do something there. Yeah. So I just think that's a very helpful exercise. And how how much... Are you taking any sort of suggestions or feedback? Do you take it with a grain of salt and they're like, that's just your opinion, but this is, or you're like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Or does it change situation to situation, really? It changes situation to situation. I think if I'm going to take feedback, like of the kind you're talking about, it's going to yeah. have to be from someone I respect musically quite a bit. So I've, Like your I've bandmates, one of, of your bandmates. Yeah, like one of my bandmates or one of my close friends who's also a musician, because I know lots of musicians, right? But Bill Hader, the actor or comedian said yeah. something recently that I, I think is very salient here, which is he said, feel free to let other people give you feedback about what's not working. Hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but right. when they suggest how to make it better, they're consistently wrong. They can tell you where the problem is, but they can't really tell you how to fix it. That's on you. You're the artist. You have to fix it. And I That's think, he's, great I think he has a point there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, and then I guess my follow-up question to that is, does anyone else in say Beverly crushes, does anyone else, uh, produce or edit, or is this strictly yourself? It's mostly m myself and my partner, Tom. So we're the kind of the main writing force and we, we really produce, I would say everything. I think that's fair. Um, there's some so input you, from I, the other band members, especially the early stages, but when it comes to kind of finishing stuff off, and I should say we're working on a follow-up 
to sick bay right now at full length where mm-hmm. we're probably 70 percent done right now and so now it's really 100 percent the two of us just going back and forth adding that's things great. and evaluating that's great yeah it's nice you have like a checks and balances absolutely yeah um, i think like i said i think that's important you can do things 100 percent by yourself i know a lot of people do and they do it successfully but that just doesn't really feel like the spirit of why i'm doing it to me totally totally well again i i can't thank you enough brother rob cassis you've really uh you've been uh just such a pleasure to speak with and i'm so uh fascinated that <laughs> like what you do for a job job and then the talent and everything else they're able to do on the i just don't understand how you're able to do <laughs> all of everything that you do and also i am i take it you're the one who's in charge of like getting the record getting the right getting the records printed to vinyl yeah well yeah i mean i'm I'm paying a company to do that but yeah sure i'm but like is it safe to say that pretty much you're the face of chop unlimited yeah i think that's fair yeah listen i think a lot more than people credit can be accomplished with consistent effort every day it's just like practice or exercise or meditation or anything you want to get better at right but yeah. if you do it every day for a, even a small amount of time it adds up that's what it's, I would say. it's like a muscle i mean they say you know Absolutely. you got to keep doing it or else you know you go dormant and then you got to get back into it just to keep the strength up you know yeah one foot after the other there's these tasks believe me i understand finishing an album or even starting one is a daunting task starting a podcast is a daunting task yeah getting to 100 episodes whatever but you got to just put one foot after the other make a list the good news like i said is that my job also reinforces that approach of sort of project management yeah it's also what i do at my job so it's nice when those things helps yeah uh will we ever hear a cover from you guys do you guys ever do covers we do them live all the time. I love covers. Just I'm you haven't sure. recorded, but you do it live. You haven't recorded any, no. Yeah, right. I kind of feel like you have to have something new to add. It's sort fun of live. Fast bar. Yeah, yeah, when you hear something live, you're like, oh my God, they're doing, you know, I think that's a yeah. lot of fun. I think if you really work it and you have something to add to the, to the song that wasn't there before, then it's, it's warranted. So certainly not out of the realm of possibility, but you know i think you would have to put enough time into it to really make it your own and that yeah. just i haven't done that yet so well as you can tell uh brother rob and i can go on and on <laughs> i just i, I know love, i love this stuff i love your your talent your musical experience again please check out the 1001 album complaints podcast i'm assuming this can be found on most major podcast platforms yeah yep it's everywhere uh spotify's are, are probably our biggest platform but it is everywhere and we always link you know the songs that we're talking about in the in the show notes and all the other stuff yeah. is in there and it's a, it's a cool deep dive i would you know start with a, a record you know of course i think that makes it a little easier but maybe don't love you know, right. maybe that you're kind of passively familiar with will help you get familiar will help yeah. you be more annoying at your next dinner party when you drop in various musical factoids <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully give you some laughs. And we always say, if we have you yelling at your speakers at how wrong we are, then we've done our jobs.
just interviewed for Y Music. That is his band, Beverly Crushers, with When the Walls Fell. Absolutely fantastic. Speaking with him, that's a great song. Please uh, visit the link that's in this episode's description to learn more and to find out uh, what he's doing with his music and everything like this. You can follow him all over the place, listen to his podcast. Visit linktr.ee slash the chop unlimited uh, again that link will be down below or off to the side i don't know where they put that in stuff usually it's down below right but check the video description uh, so you can learn more about uh about uh rob because he's right there uh fantastic why music 
This has been the Rainbow Flipper Musical Explosion. I want to thank you so much for listening, and I do hope you subscribe. Don't forget to share this radio show with your friends, families, and yes, even your enemies. And please visit czg123.blogspot.com. That's czg123.blogspot.com. There, there's an embedded radio player where you can hear episodes like this and all the ones from the past and read articles I've written regarding different aspects of music. Um, New shows every Tuesday, every Thursday, every TNT. Until next time, hey, watch out for that tide, because when the tide is high, you're either going to go with the wave, you're going to wave goodbye, you're going to fly in the sky, you got to do what you do just so you can get by.